Well, it's a new year and starting off a, a new series. Um, and I wanted to look at uh, someone from Scripture who is, I think, one of the most remarkable, you could say, a, a character from Scripture, you know, because he's, a, he's kind of a study in character of someone who's exemplary. Um, and even though he's a, in the Old Testament, he's someone who's a role model. You know, we looked at David as a role model, and I think we can look at this person also as a role model for believers, but especially uh, in the last days, right? David was kind of like a, a type of, of a New Testament believer, how we can be worshipers and men and women after God's own heart. But I think this person is really, is especially applicable for us in the last days and coming into that time of difficulty and darkness and how we can respond and overcome because he endured great hardship and difficulty, great injustice and persecution. But in all of his trials, he overcame. In fact, he reigned in his trials. Um, and, and when he overcame, God brought him out to be a ruler and a father of nations. And I dropped a little clues and hints in there, but the man I'm referring to is Joseph. You know, Joseph um, is this, uh, the son of Jacob. And, you know, as soon as you say his name, you know the story in Scripture of how uh, he was sold by his brothers as a, a slave and he went to Egypt, but then he endured that hardship and then rose to, uh, to a place of being a ruler under Pharaoh. Um, and it, in his story, we see so many marvelous lessons and examples. Uh, Pastor Bailey, in, in his commentary, he, he called Joseph one of the most outstanding leaders of our times. You know, meaning in, in all of history. And so we want to study and receive an impartation from his life. You know, sometimes you can study people from history and you can learn some interesting things, you know, Churchill or, you know, different ones who, who led us through, led the world and their people through difficult times. But yet, you know, it's not that you, you wouldn't really want to be like them because they weren't necessarily people of, of godly character. But yet Joseph is someone not just that we want to, to emulate in wisdom, but we want to be like them in character, like them, because he was a, one who followed God, who knew God, who became like God. He became a, a father to his people, and that's what we want to, to do as well. And so, you know, Joseph is actually, he's, he's even considered to be a type of Christ, you know, or a picture of him. We can see that when his brothers came to Egypt for the first time and Joseph was the ruler and, you know, the, they didn't recognize him. And Joseph didn't really reveal himself to them. Um, but then they came back the second time and they understood who he was. And that, that's kind of a picture to us of Christ came the first time and, and his people didn't recognize him. But when he comes again, they will recognize him and acknowledge him as Lord and also he was 30 when he came to power, which is the same age as, as our Lord when he started his ministry. And so he's, he's definitely someone who is an example of Christ. We see Christ in him. But as a boy, when you start reading about the story of Joseph, you see some lessons just as soon as you read about him and about his life. And he was uh, the 
favored son of Jacob. He was born of uh, Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife. And, but I, I think that we can assume, you know, the scripture says he was the son of his old age and he loved him because of that. But I, I think that we can assume that, that Jacob saw something in him that perhaps was different than his brothers and his spirit was, was a little different. Um, and perhaps his heart was drawn towards him. Now, I'm, I'm making inference there, that, but I, I think that, that that's something that could definitely be true. But we know that Joseph's brothers didn't appreciate it, right? The fact that he was the favored son. Um, in fact, they envied Joseph uh, because of his relationship with the father, with their father. And it became extreme, right? That's, the, that's what is powerful about this story, right? The, all of the extremes that Joseph experienced um, and how his brothers envy and jealousy turned to extreme hatred of Joseph. But you know, that speaks of the last days. Things are, are kind of becoming more extreme. And we can even see that in our society. I mean, even in the polarization of our society, things are just seem to get, be getting more extreme. The voices of evil keep getting louder, uh, more in your face, and you're having to deal with, with these things. There's trouble in the earth, has but definitely come to a new level of extremity. Um, testings and trials seem to be increasing. And Jesus said in his teaching, and this, this helps, it gives us, us perspective of the last days. He said, you're going to see this. This is in Matthew 24 and verse 8. He said, you'll see these things in the earth, but don't worry. This is just the beginning. Um, I'm not sure we're even quite at that point. I think we might be at the beginning of the beginning. But thank God that, you know, we can look in Joseph's life and see he went through some terrible situations, some difficulties. But even in the midst of some of the worst situations you can possibly imagine, God caused him to reign, to be a ruler in that. And it's a picture of what God wants to do in us. I don't even, I, I don't even want to take the time out. I don't think it's healthy to think about the trials as Christians, we're going to endure in the last days. You know what's healthy, though? It's to focus on the fact that God will cause us to reign. He will cause us to overcome. He will cause us to triumph. If we can take these lessons that we see in, in people like Joseph and others in Scripture, and we internalize them into our heart, and we say, okay, God, that's how I want to follow you. That's how I want to live. That's how I want to respond. And then we'll, we'll have that assurance and that faith well, I'm not looking forward to the trials and the tribulations, but when they come, if they overcame, God can also cause me to overcome in those things. And thank God that also we see in that, that, that the other side of the coin, Joseph went through extreme trials and difficulties. The darkness became extreme, but you know, the glory was extreme as well, wasn't it? He became glorious in the extreme and being lifted up to being basically over the, over the whole nation of Egypt, but it, it actually became where he was over the nations of the earth because all nations were looking to Egypt and Pharaoh was there, but he was basically leader in name only because Joseph was doing all the work. He was, he was in charge. And, and so there's an extreme, 
that's that Joseph's life and story is a story of extremes. But you know, that's the last days. The last days, Jesus told us, or the scriptures tell us, it will be a time of extremes. It'll be trouble that the earth has never seen, but you know, the, the church is become, going to become glorious in a way that we, have, we can't even imagine. We can't even dream about. It'll be a time of extremes. And so we'll be looking to Joseph saying, oh, okay, we need to respond like Joseph did. But thank God for the glory shall be there as well as the darkness. You know, Joseph represents that thought of a ruler to us because he ruled in his trials. Um, you know, he experienced those in, that intensity, but he really became one of the greatest rulers in Israel's history. And that's kind of a funny thought to say because he wasn't a king of Israel or Judah, but you know what? He, he actually held the same power, if not greater, than any king of Israel or Judah because he ruled over the earth at that time, second only to Pharaoh. And not just that, but he sustained Egypt in famine. And that's, that's kind of a wonderful thought. He sustained Egypt, but really he sustained the nations and he sustained the people of God. And if you could say, what was the, the if, if you could kind of summarize Joseph's ministry to a single purpose or even a single word, it's, it's sustaining. God raised Joseph up to sustain or maybe preserve would be a good synonym, to preserve the nations, to preserve God's people. And that's, that's the ministry God wanted him to flow in. And I think God is going to cause his people to flow in that same ministry or many in the church to flow in that same ministry to perform or flow in the power of God that will sustain his people through great difficulty. And we saw that in our series on Elijah and Elisha. They were remarkable prophets, but they were given the responsibility of sustaining God's people in times of famine, in times of trouble. And God flowed through them in such a way. They went through deep trials, but it produced something in them. You know, there's also, we have the example of, uh, in the New Testament of the church of, one of the churches in Revelation that had that wonderful promise of preservation. I probably refer to this church more than any of them because I love this promise that God gave them. I feel like it's, it's so applicable to today and in the days to come. You know, the, the church of Philadelphia, I love reading this promise, so let's read it together. <laughs> Revelation 3.10, because you have kept the word of my patience, I will keep you from the hour of temptation that will come upon all the world to try them. You know, the world is going to be tested. Everyone in the world is going to be tested at some point. Um, and there's a, there's a testing that will come upon the world corporately. But there's a promise to God's people that if we will follow him and pass our tests now, we'll be preserved. And, you know, in a certain way exempt. I mean, just like Israel had to go through the plagues in Egypt, but yet they were in a place of preservation in Goshen. They had light in their dwelling places when everyone else was being judged with darkness. And, you know, so they, they were preserved 
And it's a picture for us, but it's a promise we have to enter into. It's a promise we have to walk according to, like Joseph had to walk faithfully with God and, and be prepared and made ready. But that church endured. They held on to the word and the promises of God. And, and it did something in that little group of, of believers in that church of Philadelphia. God promised he would sustain and preserve them through the trials that would come when everyone else was being tried because they passed their test. You know, we're to be one who, those who preserve, be an agent of preservation. In fact, Jesus said we are to be an agent of preservation because he said we're to be like salt and light to the earth. And, uh, you know, salt is a preserv- preservative. You know, it's on, we've only had refrigerators. Actually, I don't know how long we've had them, like, you know, 100 years, 50 years, 70 years, something like that. But before then, they had ice boxes. But before that, they, had, they just used salt. That was the way that meat was preserved, or, or you ate it fresh before it went bad. You know? And so Jesus said, we are to be salt. We're to be that agent of preservation. And, and only when we display the ways of God and people see that and understand, oh, that's the way we're to live. That's the only way people can be preserved. When that example is taken away, empires are destroyed. But we can be an agent of preservation simply by displaying and being examples of the ways of God. And Joseph definitely was that. He, he was that with his brothers. His brothers didn't appreciate it, but there you go. Now, that was kind of an overview, a picture of, of Joseph's life. Um, but you've seen some of the, we've, we've kind of considered some of the great things Joseph uh, did and what he'd enter, entered into, but there are also things we can see in his life that prepared him to come to that place of greatness. And that's where, really where it's at for us, is we want to, to learn from those same examples, you know, walk in that same pathway of Joseph, you know, uh, imitate what God did in him, and put that in our lives. And there's something very interesting that we can see in the first verses that talk about Joseph and, and describe his life. You know, we mentioned that he was a son born to Jacob later in life and, and he loved him. And, and it says that in these verses, Genesis 37 and verse three, it says, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors and when his brothers saw that, that their father loved him more than the others, they hated him. And they could not speak peaceably to him. You know, back in, you know, in the Middle East, even today, they have that, that um, practice, you know, shalom, peace uh, be upon you. And, and that was a practice, but his brothers couldn't do that. They couldn't even say peace be upon you because they hated him so much. There was such strife and envy and jealousy in their heart and it turned to extreme hatred. But, you know, Jacob loved Joseph and, and set him apart from his brothers. One of the ways he did that, it says in his coat, he, in, in our translations, it says a coat of many colors. It's kind of a, a difficult phrase for scholars to understand. Uh, that was the best they could do 
uh, in the early times, but since they've discovered more manuscripts, um, modern translators have suggested that it's actually referring to the fact that that coat had long sleeves. And what that represents, what, why that's significant, is that a regular worker uh, working in the fields wouldn't have long sleeves because that was hard to, hard to bring in the harvest and work in the fields so they have short sleeves or be sleeveless, but they'd still have a coat on them. But Jacob gave to his son Joseph a long-sleeved coat, and what that did was it marked him as a leader or a noble person instead of a worker. And his brothers didn't appreciate that. They were out working in the fields, and here comes Joseph with a coat that didn't allow him to do the normal work or something. And, you know, that was kind of like a message or a blessing given to him by his father that they didn't have. And so that you can see how they might have been upset at that. But even from his young age, Jacob recognized something in Joseph. Maybe he had a sense that God was setting him apart to rule, or at least God was showing that in, in that. But, but there's something I want to key in on, and just for the rest of the message here, is, um, it's perhaps a small point, but I think something that can speak to us, something we can take to heart and incorporate in our lives, or at least it, you know, have as a foundation. And, it, and we can see that in one verse earlier, in Genesis 37, verse 2. It said, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding uh, the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, with the sons of Zilpah, and his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, some commentators kind of uh, and we as readers, sometimes we can take this to mean Joseph was kind of like a tale bearer. Uh, no one likes a tattletale, you know. Um, but there's also a part of that concept of, of a tattletale that's kind of rooted in our old nature. You know, no one likes their sin being revealed. Uh, you know, Pastor Bailey said in his commentary, he said Joseph was not being a tale bearer. You know, it's our responsibility to report evil. In, in certain situations, you know, there are times even that we're judged for not doing that. You know, if we see a crime and we don't report it, we can be held liable for that. There's an Old Testament uh, verse that Pastor Bailey references, Le uh, Leviticus 5 and verse 1. If a soul sin and, and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness and whether he has seen or known of it, if he does not reveal it, utter it, he shall bear the iniquity. You know, so there's times that that we have to say when, when there's things going on that are wrong. Uh, if we behold evil and don't tell someone, we can be held liable. But I think there, there's that component. But I think there's another one I think that perhaps is even more real to us um, that would flow with the, the man that Joseph became. And that is that even as a young man, you know, we can understand that Joseph was one who spoke the truth. He would not lie. You know, he... He's not someone who would lie for other people because he held to what was true. He did what was right. And, and as I said, it's in the nature of man to try to get people to join together and not reveal sin. And, you know, how many times have you heard someone or heard of a story where someone does something wrong and they say, hey, don't tell the boss what I did. <laughs> right? let, let, let's stick together. Don't cover it up uh, or, or don't let don't let anyone anyone know or. Or maybe Joseph's brothers told him, don't tell dad. <laughs> but, you know, in doing so, 
They were saying, lie for us. Don't tell the truth. Lie. Lie to, lie to dad. And Joseph said, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, I don't know if he just went and told him what he did or if, Joseph, or if Jacob said, How, what happened? And Joseph said, well, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell the truth. And he said that. And so there's that, that concept that, you know, we, we are people of the truth. We are to be people of the truth. Our testimony is to be of the truth. You know, one of the, one of the precious Psalms we can read and is about dwelling in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 15 verse 1 says, Lord, who will abide in your tabernacle? Who will dwell in your holy hill? That sense of permanence. Who can permanently be with the presence of God and have the presence of God in their life or be in the presence of God? It's he that walks, walks uprightly, that works righteousness, and speaks the truth. In his heart, well, of course, it, it has to be in our heart first before it's on our lips. And so it, it's in the inner part. You know, the truth can be in our lips, but not on our heart. But this goes farther. Who speaks the truth in his heart. And so who abides in God's dwelling place and in his presence? It's those who have aligned their lives to God's way and his truth. What he declares is right. They hold to that before what anyone else wants. And, you know, we express his truth through our lives, through our conduct, our speech, You know, maybe you could say truth is a part of dwelling with God, or, or maybe you could say it's a, it's a cost or the price of admission. You know, following the truth, upholding his truth. Those who dwell in his presence have to pay the price for truth and hold on to it. We won't read the, the verses, but there's a couple references in Revelation describing God's new kingdom. I think it's interesting how it talks about those who aren't in it. And one of those people, it says, are those who don't speak the truth. Those who lie. They're not in my kingdom. They're not in my city. It's only those who speak the truth, who love it, who hold on to it, who live it. You know, but, and that, that does something in my heart. <laughs> Lord, I want to love your truth. I want to speak it. I want to speak it on my lips. I want to speak it in my heart. Because that determines if we dwell in his presence. Someone once told me a story how they, they bought something at a store and they realized uh, um, they, they had underpaid somehow and they realized that on the receipt or you know, they rung up the wrong thing. And so they went back to the store and, and told them, hey, I, I didn't pay enough for this item. Or, and, um, and the response of the, the person there was, why did you come back? <laughs> You know, you, you paid, we let you go. And, and they, they responded, well, I want to sleep well tonight. You know, because it, I don't answer to you. And that implication was, I don't answer to you. I answer to God. It's not just my, the testimony with man. Yeah, yeah, sure, my testimony would have been fine. You know, legally, I would have been okay. But it's my testimony with God that really matters. And I wanted that to be right. So I came back and I made the, made the situation right. You know, we make that, we want to make that a priority because our testimony with God matters more than anything else. You know, why are we speaking, thinking, meditating on the truth? 
because we want to dwell in God's presence more than anything else. The world doesn't recognize the reality or the importance of truth, right? If you go into the world, basically there is no truth. It's whatever truth they hold dear at that moment that, you know, and of course they want us to identify with their truth, which we say, no, thank you. I identify with God's truth and then they're not happy. But this is, this is apparent out there, but even in scripture, you know, I thought it was very interesting and significant when Christ was standing before Pilate and in John 18, 37, you know, Jesus responds to him. Uh, you know, he said, I, I, I to the world that I bear witness unto the truth. And Corpse Pilate responded with that famous phrase, well, what is truth? And what he's saying is, I, I don't understand that. I don't identify with that truth. You know, from the world's perspective, truth is whatever I say it is. Well, Pilate was asking that question, what is truth? Truth was standing before him. Pilate just didn't recognize him. And so truth is intrinsically tied to Christ because he's the creator, he's the author, he's the one that determines what is right and wrong. He came into this world to bear witness of what is true. And in, in a sense, that's our purpose. Our lives are also to bear witness of God's truth. And I think that we can see in our society in many ways that it's, it's purposely moving away from truth. But God spoke that to us, right? That they would do that. That's a key description of the last days, actually. And, and Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2.9, he said, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and, and be saved. Not even that. They refused to even acknowledge the truth. They refused to even listen to the definition of the truth because that opposes what they believe. But they refuse to love the truth, and because of that, they will join themselves to the one who is the opposite of truth, anti-truth. And so we shouldn't be surprised in our day when people promote ideas that just go against basic reason, right? <laughs> that just a few years ago would have been taken for granted as, as true, but yet it's because the world is going in the way of darkness and embracing the lie because they do not love truth. They do not love the ways of God and are going farther into darkness. And so God's allowing all these outlandish and crazy things to, to, to take place. And we shouldn't be surprised. But yet our part in that is we hold on to the truth even more. When we see craziness and wickedness rising up and you know unreasonable things being said and that just makes us hold on, oh God, let us hold on to your truth even more. When everyone around us is fleeing from the truth of Christ, we are to stand fast. In fact, truth is, is to be an intrinsic part of, of, that, of, of our ability to stand fast. In, in Ephesians 6.14, it says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth, you know, your belt is kind of the final thing you, that holds everything together, that holds everything up and 
keeps it in place. It's how we stand. It's how we are contained. It is to be our guide, our direction, our strength. God says what is right. He says what's important. And, and it's in our day, too. It's what He's saying is true for the steps we take, for the pathway we're going in. And that must be our foundation. That must hold us. That must keep us. And so we have to ask God, Lord, lead me in your truth. Reveal your truth. What, what is your way for me? And then having done all, we stand in that truth. One last point. That, and it's something important that we have to understand in making that stand for truth because sometimes we can say, well, I'm just going to be militant for God. I'm going to stand in that truth and whoever opposes it, take the sword out and just cut them down because I'm standing for truth. You know, Paul talks about how we can make our stand for truth. He talks about how we're not to be tossed up and down by our environment. You know, we're to hold on to Christ, but we do it through verse through this verse, he says in Ephesians 4 and verse 15. He says, don't be tossed up and down by the things of this world, but rather speak the truth in love. Well, that, that adds a component to it. Speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way in, into Him who is the head, into Christ. You know, we're to be like Christ in every way, in, his, in truth. And so here's that perfect and beautiful balance of how we are to hold to the truth. We are always to display the truth, but through the lens of His great love. I'm thankful He loved me before I loved Him. And he brought me in to the truth because of that love. And so we are to have that same love for others, even though they don't, they're not loving the truth. We can still love them because God loved us before we, we were in the truth too. And so we're to, we're to have that same heart and relate that same way. We're to love in truth. And so there's that balance. You know, the apostles and prophets, they didn't shrink back from sharing the truth um, from pointing out what was false. They pointed out false doctrine and hypocrisy, and Jesus didn't shy back from that either. And in one sense, that is love. To not show someone the truth, that's not love. That's letting them continue on in darkness. Paul is also saying that we share the truth in the spirit of love. And that that's what is concerning to me today, that there seems to be, even among Christians, a loss of of decorum or loss of, of love in that sense. Some feel they have the right to speak evil of anyone who does not follow the truth, you know, to, to mock or, or so forth because, well, they, they're not following the truth. They're believing a lie. But, you know, we, that's the, also the spirit of this age that does not love the truth, that doesn't flow and display the truth in love. And so believers, as believers, we're called not to just, just be proclaimers of what of truth, but our lives are to be a witness of the truth that was in Christ, that flowed through love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We're to flow in that same love, the love of the Father and the love of the Son. 
And that's what he wants to, to be displayed in our lives. And there's a lot we could say on this topic, but you know, we're called to be those who are valiant for the truth, that we're to buy the truth and not sell it, to swear to our own hurt and not change. I think we get the message, but but there's that that thought of loving the truth. You know, Joseph was one who loved the truth. He spoke it, he stood by it, uh, he paid the price for it. He loved the ways of God. He valued his testimony, right? And we'll see that later on in, in the story of Joseph. He valued his testimony, and so he ran from what was, what was wicked. And this love of God's truth guided him through his journey, and it will guide us as well. And so let's make that the cry of our heart. Lord, give me a fresh and renewed love for your truth for what you are declaring is true. That I can take that into my life and speak it in my heart and so that I can abide in your tabernacle and dwell in your holy hill for all eternity. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your wonderful plan for us. Lord, your ways are so good. Lord, thank you for the examples we see in Joseph, Lord, how he was one who spoke the truth. And Lord, we, we want to take that lesson into our lives, oh God. Lord, help us to be those who would love your truth, who would, would wrap it around us as a belt, as a girdle, that it would uphold us and keep us in your way. Lead us in your truth. Oh God, we want to dwell with you in your holy hill for all eternity. Lord, make us to be witnesses of your truth and to display it as you did on earth and how you displayed it in righteousness and in mercy and in love. Oh Lord, fulfill that in our lives. Lead us in that way, we ask. And we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.